and there is nothing but doom and darkness for the sinner without a Savior. But you'll notice verse 21. This is the good news. But now, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ upon all. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew. Doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. Doesn't matter your nationality. Christ is a Savior for all. And if you believe and trust in Him, there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is the radio ministry of Cloverdale Free Presbyterian Church here in Greater Vancouver. I trust the Lord will stir you, bless you, help you today as we come to God's Word again. We have some wonderful hymns by Boaz Boone. He will be singing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And then also, Jesus is dearer. Oh, the love that burns in the heart of the born-again believer. There is no name like the name of Jesus. We also return to our message today on Romans chapter 12. What is God's mercy? How do you define it? Uh, This is something that theologians, preachers, evangelists have been seeking to do for centuries. Can we ever get to the uh, bottom of God's infinite mercy? Never, never, never. When we think that we have drunk the ocean dry, then God's mercy will have run out. Because it is infinite, it is unending. And that's really a big part of the message that we have here today. As from the pulpit of our church, we let the Bible speak on Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Let this stir your heart. Let this fill you with joy that there is infinite mercy for you. Jesus is my loving Savior, He is so precious to me. Oh, how I love and adore Him, for all His mercies so free. When I was lost on the mountains, barren and dark and cold, He sought the sheep that was straight. Jesus, Jesus, dearer than all to me. 
Paul says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And so if we would sum up what a, a consecrated life looks like, it's going to be someone who has been to the cross, who lives by the Bible, and he's humble about it. There's a humility that is agreeable to the life of Christ, and he's not living in pride. Indeed, he renounces all pride, and he is humble, but to think soberly according as God has dealt with him. But because today is our communion day and we have our table spread, I want us just to think of what it is to have a gospel mind. Now, the book of Romans is really the great Bible treatise on the gospel. In chapter 1, you read of how all men are depraved. In chapter 2, you learn of how the Jews are equally lost and depraved as the Gentile. In chapter 3, you, you have the inclusion that all have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 really sets the premise that all are guilty, guilty before a holy God. And then arises the question, how is it possible for a guilty, condemned sinner to be reconciled and to be right with a holy God? And so begins now the gospel, the good news, that even though we are guilty and even though we be Gentiles or Jews, there is a Savior and there is salvation by the cross of the Lord Jesus. So let me take you back to Romans 3. And to verse 20. Romans 3 and verse 20. Here is what I would say is the crossroad from the bad news into the good news. So you could say that Romans 3, 1 to 20 is the bad news. We're all lost. We're all guilty. We cannot save ourselves. And he concludes, at the end of verse 19, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So that's all the bad news. That's it all summed up. And there is nothing but doom and darkness for the sinner without a Savior. But you'll notice verse 21. This is the good news. But now, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ upon all. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew. Doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. Doesn't matter your nationality. Christ is a Savior for all. And if you believe and trust in him, there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, you'll notice in verse 24, the word justified, justified. And here now begins the apostles' treatment of the whole topic and subject of justification by faith alone. How is it possible that God can reconcile with a guilty sinner? And of course, you have propitiation uh, that is referred to uh, verse 25, 
for whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. That's the sacrifice of the cross. That's the death of our Redeemer. That's the suffering that He endured. That's the blood that He shed to be a propitiation. That means to turn away God's wrath to the guilty soul, and that God who is righteous can be reconciled to you and me through the death of his own Son. And so we take on board this glorious good news. I was lost, but God has provided a Savior to save me. And chapter 4 is really the great examples of justification by faith alone. Firstly, Abraham, then David. And you will read there in chapter 4, what shall we say then of Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, not by works, but grace. And so, if you were a Jew in the city of Rome reading this epistle, Abraham was justified by faith. There is a way to be right with God. And then the other big example is verse 6, David. Even as David describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. So I can get to heaven without my performance. I can be justified, just as if I'd never sinned, and have peace with God. And that's Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul expounds the gospel. Then when you get to chapter 8, you have another one of these therefores. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so this is a gospel mind. And as I take communion today, I need a gospel mind. I need to take that bread knowing there's no condemnation. I need to take that blood knowing that it was shed as my propitiation to appease the wrath of God. There is no longer any wrath for me. The Lord received it, the fire was put out, and there is peace with God. And I come to the table, I come with a gospel mind, knowing and rejoicing in what the Lord has done for me. Now, in my notes here, I have three little points of what that means. It is therefore a mind that stops working for merit with God. I don't even try anymore not even trying to have merit with God, because I know that even my best works are but rags. I don't even try to make myself right with God. I keep looking onto Jesus as the only argument, as the only righteousness, the only perfection I will ever have is the righteousness of Christ. And that is enough. That satisfies the Father. Number two, it is a mind that stops trusting in self for approval with God. I don't trust myself for approval with God. When I come to the communion table today and take that cup and bread, I'm not doing it so that God will be pleased with me. He's already pleased with me. 
He already is pleased, and I am already accepted in the Beloved. I have a hundred percent acceptance through the gospel. Now, I know when I obey the Lord and I take that cup and I take that bread, it does please the Lord, but it's not me seeking brownie points, some way of proving I'm good enough, I'm worthy. No, I'm not worthy, totally unworthy, but I rest in the one who is altogether worthy. Third one, it is a mind that gives God all the glory for full and complete salvation. And that makes us thankful, filled with thanksgiving. Now, Romans eleven thirty three is a doxology. Um, for unto of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. There's a doxology. There's the spirit of thanksgiving. It's all of God. It's all of grace. It's not my works. It's not my merits. It's not my goodness. It's not my worthiness. I am an empty, lost sinner, and the Lord has had compassion and pity upon my soul, and I am saved by grace. And unto the Lord I give all the glory. And now I come with an attitude of thanksgiving. And that's a gospel mind. A gospel mind is a, a mind filled with thanksgiving. We sing the little chorus, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole and giving me salvation so full, so rich, and so free. Now, when Paul says, Make your life a living sacrifice, climb up on the altar and stretch yourself out over the wood and let your life be a, a sweet savor unto God, how do you do it? It's a life of thanksgiving, a life of appreciation for the cross. It's a life that demonstrates, not that you're worthy or you, you, you're ac being accepted by your own ways, but thanksgiving for the pity, the compassion, the redeeming work of the cross. When the Lord Jesus instituted this table, and he did so in that upper room, switching from the Passover to the new covenant, and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. What is the thing the Lord Jesus did in, in that institution? He gave thanks. He gave thanks. And that is the essential component in a gospel mind. One who is filled with thanks. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, the passage we read every communion service we have, Paul the Apostle quoted those words of the Lord Jesus that in the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. And so Paul took what the Lord did on that first institution into the life of the church. This is how every Christian is to receive the communion bread and cup. The Greek word is eucharisto. Now, we know Roman Catholicism has done all kinds of things with the Eucharist, but Eucharisto simply means giving thanks. Giving thanks. And so, if we are a living sacrifice and have a gospel mind, we're going to worship with a spirit of growing and superabounding thanksgiving. 
And there ought to be in your heart and my heart as we sit down and receive these elements, the inner, utter spirit of thanksgiving, a burning sense of indebtedness to the compassion, the mercies that we have received through the death of the Lord Jesus. Over the summer, I was reading through the book of Leviticus. And of course, as many people know, that becomes the death of many Bible reading because it's, it's a kind of a passage you get lost. And we all need help. So I was uh, reading Albert Barnes in my reading. As I read the chapter, I read the comments by Albert Barnes, the commentator. And uh, they're not very extensive, by the way, but they're very good hints. They're just very good hints. And in the Leviticus, many of the offerings are not for cleansing from sin. There is, of course, the burnt offering. The burnt offering is for cleansing from sin. And there was a burnt offering in the morning and a burnt offering in the evening. But they also brought cakes or bread, which they called meat offerings. And these were of two kinds. They were thank offerings or free will offerings. You can read of this in Leviticus chapter 7. And it was not an animal had to die. Blood didn't, wasn't shed. But it was bread and olive oil, and they were all baked up and put on the fire and presented to the Lord as thank offerings. And many of them, the free will offering was impromptu. There was no set time. There was no set calendar date when you should do this. But when people wanted to thank the Lord, they brought their cakes, so baked, so presented, and presented to the, to the Lord just to show their love, just to show their thanksgiving. Now, we as New Testament Christians, we don't do Levitical worship, but there ought to be a big element of our worship has to be our love, our free will, our voluntary inner desire to just show and declare our appreciation, our love and indebtedness to the one who has bought us. Now, many associate showing love to the Lord with giving money. That can happen. We read of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8, when Paul requested an offering, a love offering, for the suffering Christians in Jerusalem due to a drought. And he was asking people in other parts of the world to give toward the suffering Christians. Uh, the Macedonians excelled in giving. They gave and gave of their substance to help the church. But Paul commented this, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You read of that in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. The Macedonians first gave themselves. So the primary thing is, in our offerings, it's not just the amount we give, it's not just the money we give, it's that we must first give ourselves. And that's what pleases the Lord. You know, a, a wicked, sinful man could come into the church and give a million dollars, and we'd all be talking about it. Hey, did you see the amount? Look at all those zeros! What does God see? He sees the heart. He sees the faith. He sees the love. He sees the devotion in the giving. And as we come to this communion table today, 
As we take the cup and bread, what does the Lord see? He sees us physically taking that, and that pleases him, of course. But he also sees the heart, and he's reading the appreciation barometer. Are we truly thankful? Are we living as living sacrifices filled with gladness for what the Lord has done for our souls? And as we read, as we did in Psalm 22, of the suffering Savior, does it not work within us a deeper, deeper sense? Christ did that for me? That is a gospel mind. That is to be a living sacrifice on the altar burned up. One commentator or series of commentators said this, the old sacrifices brought sins continually to remembrance. And you can realize that. Every time they brought a sacrifice, they were reminded of their own sins. But the Lord's Supper brings to remembrance Christ and his sacrifice once for all for the full and final remission of sins. Remember. And as we remember, we get our eyes on our Savior, our sacrifice, and we just sit back overwhelmed with thankfulness. How can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me. It is a wonder. So what is a, a, a fully surrendered life? What is a, a living sacrifice on the altar? What is a gospel mind to be filled with thankfulness for the cross and the sufferings of the Lord Jesus? Would you pray for that today? I don't think any one of us here today has that in the measure to which we should have it. Every one of us can get into the habit, taking things by form. Every one of us need to be stirred in heart to greater appreciation, greater devotion, greater thankfulness for the cross of Christ. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the
You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. Thank you for being a part of the program today. And I hope that we all understand something a little deeper further on the grace of God. God's grace is infinite. It is almost defies logic. It defies explanation. It is the mysterious, amazing, sovereign love of a good and a gracious God. A Bishop Kavanagh, one day walking through the streets of a city when he met one of its prominent physicians who offered him a seat in his car. The physician was an infidel. After a while, the conversation turned upon religion. I am surprised, said the infidel doctor, that such an intelligent man as you are should believe such an old fable as that. The bishop made no immediate reply, but sometime afterwards said, Doctor, suppose that years ago someone had recommended to you a prescription for a pulmonary consumption and given you directions concerning it, and you had procured the medicine and taken it as directed, and you had been cured of that terrible disease. Suppose that you had used that prescription in your practice ever since, and had never known it to fail when taken according to directions. What would you say to the man who could not believe in and would not try your prescription? I should say he was a fool, replied the physician. Twenty-five years ago, said the bishop, I tried the power of God's grace. I made It made a different man of me. All these years I have preached salvation to others, and whenever it had been accepted, I have never known it to fail. I have seen it make the proud man humble, the drunken man temperate, the profane man pure of speech, and the dishonest man true. The rich and the poor, the learned and the unlearned, the old and the young, have alike been healed of their diseases. You have caught me fairly, Bishop. I have been a fool, said the physician, and that was not the end of it. The infidel doctor became the superintendent of a prosperous Sunday school. What a wonderful argument for the gospel. It always works when it is sincerely believed. And just as when a medicine is effective time and time and time again with every single patient that takes it, therefore, the gospel that changes men's hearts, changes their lives, their homes, their families, and gives them not only a guarantee of eternal life, but victory over sin in this world. This is the gospel that we need. And I trust that today that you will bow the knee, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your living personal Savior, and He will save your soul. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music